It's been quite the week, a little busy. I know you've been pretty busy, Howard. You got people in town, work stuff's working on the old business. What's new? Yeah, there's a lot new. Um, my in-laws are in town, so my wife's mom, dad, and brother, and because we now have an actual house, they're all staying with us, so it's been crazy. I love them, but it's so crazy, and it's funny. They took, yesterday, they took four hours to get ready, and throughout the four hours, they kept saying, we're leaving in 10 minutes, and that was, you know, four hours later, they were still getting ready. Um, so that was that's going on. Work is crazy busy. I'm working on a bunch of things I can't talk about yet. Hopefully, I'll be able to talk about them within the next few weeks. I really hope they happen. It's, it's very exciting stuff. And to top this whole week off, my Mac Pro died this morning. I was, um, before work, I was playing a little bit of Hearthstone before I had to log into Slack and start actually doing things. And all of a sudden, my left monitor, which is my Samsung 4K monitor, turned blue. And the, the Wacom Cintiq on the right turned white. And then Ooh. it just shut down. And sounds, I tried to boot sounds it up. Co- it sounds colorful. Yeah, it really was. So I tried to boot it up, and it hit the Apple logo. The little progress bar went about halfway shut down and just kept doing the process. I couldn't boot into recovery mode. I pretty much couldn't boot into anything. So I finally took it to the Apple store. I was there for like, well, I was waiting around for about four hours because they had no appointments available because it was like a last minute standby type thing. So finally they got it. They diagnosed it. Apparently it was the, well, one of two of the graphics cards. It might've been both. So luckily I had Apple Care. Otherwise it would be like $700 to replace both graphics cards. So they had to order those because they didn't have any in stock. Should be done within five to 10 business days. Usually from my experience, it's done a little bit quicker than that. But I guess it all depends on, they said that they're going to put the first graphics card in, see if that's the problem. If it's not, they're going to try the next graphics card. And if that's not the problem, then it could be the logic board, which is, I think, like a $1,200 repair. But luckily, I don't have to pay for anything. But, you know, I'm without I'm without my main computer for potentially 10 days. Yeah, that really stinks. But I guess the the lesson you've learned here is that buying the Apple Care was a good purchase for you because I'm assuming you didn't spend $700 uh, to pick up the Apple Care, correct? No, the Apple Care for the Mac Pro I think is 249, which is dirt cheap compared to a, you know, $3,000 computer. And when I used to work at Apple, I always used to tell people, "Please get the Apple Care. I'm not just trying to like upsell you on a stupid warranty that you're never going to use. I have used Apple Care not just for this Mac Pro but for previous Macs and the way Macs are built is that they're really not user-friendly if you want to replace something or upgrade something. So, you know, like I said, the logic board itself is like $1,200 and it's not something you can replace. So it does usually pay off. Um, but yeah, I'm very thankful I had it today. Otherwise, I'd be out uh, several hundred dollars. Yeah, that's crazy. My computer, thankfully, is still running uh, well. Graphics cards appear to be intact. And you just <laughs> jinxed it. <laughs> well, if we shut this podcast down and my computer goes haywire, then I'll know that I'll know that there's something to that. But anyway, it's episode 22 of the Week Geeks podcast. I'm Nathaniel Dodson, and he's Howard Pinsky. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Tutvid. That's T-U-T-V-I-D. And he is at Iceflow Studios, and it's spelled just like it sounds. Now, Howard, how can the good people follow the podcast itself? 
There are many places. The main place you can follow us is on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash wegeeks. And you can comment along as we're discussing actually last podcast, which I thought was a great podcast. We got a bunch of comments and suggestions on that SoundCloud page, which is really cool because I was able to go in there and just respond directly to them. So it's a really nice way for us as podcasters to interact with you guys as the listeners. You can also follow us on iTunes. There is a link on the SoundCloud page to iTunes. We're on Stitcher Radio. I don't know the URL to that, but we're there. And we are on... Is that all we're on? I think that's all we're on. SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. And we are on Patreon. You can't really listen to us there, but we're on Patreon if you really love the podcast and you want to support us. Patreon.com slash WeGeeks. And we love giving shout-outs to our supporters every single week. So this week we have Caleb Surface... Craig Jones, Steve Johns, Genevieve Perron, Migueron. I'm sorry, it's I think it's French, but I can't pronounce it. Michael Williamson and Jordan Younce. So thank you so much for your support. And we did get one additional iTunes review. So if you love our podcast, head over to iTunes and leave us a review. So this is from Alex Crocker, and I think I've seen a few of his tweets. He is says, it Chris, "Is it Chris's brother?" <laughs> I don't think so. Um, the title of the review is Awesome Podcast for Tech Slash Design Geeks. And he says, the two best Photoshop guys on YouTube finally have a weekly podcast in which they talk about tech and design news. It is every wow, it is every geek's dream come true. I've been listening since episode one and have no intentions of stopping ever. Well, neither do we. If I had the money to support these guys, I would. Fortunately, I can show my support by sharing this podcast with everyone I know. And I think that's a really good point is if you don't have the extra cash to throw us, you know, a dollar, three dollars, five dollars a month to support the podcast. The next best thing you can do is just share it with your friends, share it on Twitter, share it on Facebook, share it all the places. And that helps tremendously. Yeah, no, I agree. Shares are super cool. Shares, likes, comments, all that stuff. If you get good stuff from the podcast, don't slack. Give something back to us. And that just fires us up and gets us amped for the next podcast. Uh, and, and just, I don't know, interaction's awesome. It's it's great. I mean, it's, it's not what social media is. It's a big 24-7 cocktail party. So don't stand on the edges. Jump in and let your voice be heard and party it up with the rest of us. Definitely. So to kick off the news, we have something kind of interesting. Some of you, if you're YouTube fans or if you're gamers, you may have seen this. There's a gamer on YouTube. Actually, it's the biggest gamer on YouTube. And at one point, he might still be the biggest subscribed channel on YouTube, PewDiePie. There was an article that came out about him that he made last year $7.5 million off his YouTube channel, which that in of itself is absolutely crazy. But, you know, I have nothing against the guy. I don't really find his content that entertaining because I'm not much of a person who likes watching gaming videos and sometimes he's kind of annoying. But, you know, more power to him if you make $7.5 million. He didn't confirm it, but he did come out and make a video responding to the countless number of haters that were just going off on this guy. His name is Felix. And basically the gist of his video, and we'll put it in Nathaniel's blog post, which he forgot to mention at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I'll, I'll mention it in just a second. Okay. And in the video, he basically addressed his haters and basically said, listen, I'm doing what I love for a living. I used to be a hot dog vendor 
and now I'm able to create videos for all of, you know, for millions and millions. I think he has like over 3 billion views on his videos, which is crazy. That's insane. And he's able to just do what he loves for a living. And sure, he makes millions of dollars per year, but don't hate. And he, and he agrees at one point that like servicemen and women who are fighting for our country and saving lives should probably be making more money than they are, but that's not really something he can control. Um, I just found it really interesting how he responded. He didn't confirm how much he's making, but... I'm sure the average is somewhere around seven million, which is nuts. Yeah, I mean, in the uh, immortal words of Taylor Swift, "Haters gonna hate, hate, hate." So I, you know, I mean, good for him. You know what I mean? He he started this. He's doing his thing. If he can make seven and a half million dollars a year doing it, uh, take the money. I mean, what else are you gonna do with it? Um, and, and I mean, as all everything else is window dressing. You know what I mean? Whether or not servicemen make enough money or not, that that's not his concern, right. um, quite frankly. And what he chooses to do with the money, if he if he donates zero dollars to charity, uh, he has every right to do that. If he donates a ton of it to charity, so be it. He earned the money. He made the money. I don't understand what the issue is. Well, people love hating. I mean, I've seen it. Not to that extent. I'm sure you've seen it. That we make. Even like $1 on our YouTube videos, our Photoshop videos, people find it disgusting because they're out there working their butts off and whatever their nine to five job. And we're sitting here making YouTube videos. And I think, I think we've adjust, uh, addressed this before. Making YouTube videos isn't necessarily as easy as it seems. Like someone like Felix, let's, you know, let's forget about Felix for, my, for a second. Someone like myself, I can release a five minute Photoshop tutorial. And people have said in the past, you know, this is a five-minute Photoshop tutorial. How, you know, what kind of effort? You turn on your thing, you record for five minutes, and you upload to YouTube. I, I really wish that were the case. It takes hours of preparation, sometimes days of preparation, and, you know, at more hours of editing and recording and then marketing. And there, there's so much that goes into a single video. One single video could literally take a week to produce from start to finish. Now, I'm sure in Felix's case... Gaming videos probably doesn't take that much longer, but he still has to prepare. He has to still have to come up with ideas, plan the things, edit the things, um, market the thing. There's a lot that goes into YouTube videos that people don't realize. And sure, it's not a job like being a doctor or a surgeon or an accountant, but you know, it's still a job. And I'm sure Felix works his butt off to make this happen. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, the whole thing seems ludicrous to me. It, it... Who cares how much somebody works? If somebody's able to work less than you and make more money than you're making, maybe you should reevaluate your situation. <laughs> that's that, very I mean, I true. That's I mean that, that's just kind of like my default mode when it comes to that kind of thing. Do you know what I'm saying? I, it, I do. It makes, yeah. It makes absolutely no sense to you know subject somebody to your wrath and hatred, if you will, uh, because they're doing something that's wildly successful. Like let the man do his thing, and either stop watching him if you don't like him. Uh, or keep watching him and let him worry about the money that he is or isn't making. It's it's just the way it is. If, if you're so uh, confident and you want a piece of the money, start your own gaming channel and do it better than he is for longer than he is, more consistently than he has. And, uh, you know, maybe you'll be able to overtake him someday. I, I don't, I, I mean, I don't have much more to say. Uh, I, in my mind, it's totally inconsequential how much work he spends on it uh, or any of that. Do you know what I mean? A lot of times the highest paid people in an institution are not the physically hardest working people. 
um, but maybe they bear the greatest responsibility. There's a lot of other factors that go into something um, than just the actual amount of work uh, that somebody uh, puts in. So I, I, you know, I don't know. It's it's the whole thing is just ridiculous. Yeah, uh, I agree. But, and you're completely and, right. If they're so angry at Felix or whoever else for making money doing something they love, maybe they really do need to reevaluate reevaluate what they do for a living and maybe make a change. Maybe they'll be happier. Yeah. So anyway, talking about making changes, uh, a mother was horrified after a photography studio airbrushed her toddler. Um, so when I first saw this uh, headline, I thought, what in the world? That's a little crazy. I actually uh-huh. just put out a tutorial a week or two ago about retouching kids. Oh, it's all uh, your fault was, then. But it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was more or less a, uh, a color effect and a black and white technique and things like that. Um, but basically, the, the story is that a woman had this 18-month-old daughter, has this 18-month-old old daughter, uh, and her daughter had a, a fairly large birthmark on her face. I mean, it was about the size of a strawberry. It was significant-sized. It was not just a small dot. Mm. Um, and the photographer went in, and when she got the images back from the photographer, the, the birthmark had essentially been completely removed, so the mom... Oh flipped out. Now, I have photographed people who have had major birthmarks on their face and and one girl in particular, her mother was very adamant to me that she wanted the birthmark to remain. This was before any retouching was done. Um, So, I mean, in in defense of the photographer, um, I mean, I I guess you would want to try to Photoshop something out if you're not sure what it is and it's huge and it looks like it's in the way. I get that. Um, But kind of going against the photographer, uh, when you're going to do something like that, at least at the time of the shoot or before you start to retouch, you've got to have the moxie to say to your client, hey, um, should I re- is this a birthmark? Should I retouch this? Is this something from a, a, a recent medical condition or a surgery or something? Um, how do you want me to handle this? You know, it's a simple question, um, and it's on the girl's face for crying out loud. The mother certainly should understand if you approach it in some sort of diplomatic uh, respect. So, you know, I don't know. I just thought it was <laughs> it was kind of a funny story. Um but I mean, when I when I saw it, it definitely made me stop and think about how I've sort of handled uh, these types of situations in the past. That being, I just I'm very open with my clients, um, especially parents, when I'm working with their kids about my intentions and hey, I'm probably going to go ahead and do this. Uh, what do you think about that? Uh, and sometimes the parents are very open with you and just say, hey, look, this is what we want. Or the client in general, maybe a full grown client who says, hey, you know, I want that to stay, uh, or I don't want you removing this or adding that or whatever. Yeah, I don't necessarily agree with the actions of the photographer. I definitely agree with you that he should have asked, um, especially for something like that. You know, if it was a little tiny something, maybe on a leg that really didn't look like anything, then yeah, maybe he could have removed it, but definitely ask in this situation. And from a parent's standpoint, I don't know, you know, I don't have any kids and, and certainly no kids with anything visibly on their body, but I don't know if I would want that removed because it kind of shows character for the toddler. Right. And even though it's a toddler and this toddler, whether it's a he or she, it's a, does it say? No, daughter. Yeah, I think yes. it's a, yeah, it's a little girl. Yeah. Even though this daughter, Lexi, would probably not really be able to react to this photographer airbrushing something out on her face you know several years down the line if she looks at this and then compares it to her face she might think why did why was this removed is this not supposed to be on my face is someone embarrassed about it you know what's going on it would kind of bring up a lot of confusion so I think it should have remained there and if the parents and eventually the daughter wants to airbrush it out 
by all means, go for it. Maybe hire somebody or do it yourself, but in no way should the photographer have taken it upon himself to remove it, move, remove that birthmark from her face. Yeah, I mean, have at it. Oh, and I forgot to mention back when I said I was going to mention it, you can see all of the info on these stories, photos, links to more full stories uh, over on the website. That's tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 22. And that's the number 22. Uh, so our next story is <laughs> Wednesday, <laughs> which was the day before we're recording this. So yesterday, Wednesday, uh, was a pretty bad day uh, for tech. There were a few major technical, and I'm kind of using air quotes here, technical glitches. That's what uh, we're being told. Right. Uh, that caused some things to be shut down. The New York Stock Exchange was shut down on Wednesday. It was yesterday, July 8th. Uh, from 11.30 a.m. until 3 o'clock p.m. because of a, quote, technical computer glitch. Um, I, I thought it was uh, an interesting coincidence time-wise because we're uh, going through the whole Greek banking crisis and the markets have been kind of freaking out about that. Um, I know the Chinese market's doing some crazy things mm-hmm. um, and the way that it could possibly affect the euro, especially if the Greeks are sort of forced to go back to their original currency and essentially booted out of the EU. Yeah, didn't I see, I think I saw, I'll try and confirm, USD to euro, that they're almost equal right now. Um, yeah, the okay. it's it's 90 cents to the dollar, which usually it's a lot, is it maybe yeah, less thought, than that? I, yeah, I thought. Yeah, I thought the uh, the euro was usually worth a bit more than that. Um, yeah, it's usually like seventy cents to the dollar. Yeah, certainly pegged to the U.S. dollar, which inflation is just destroying by the day. Mm. Uh, but it's it's really interesting. I mean, the the the, the Greeks. I don't. Know, I don't want to get into that uh, right now. But essentially, the New York Stock Exchange was completely shut down for about three and a half hours. Um, and they, the, the stock exchange has not closed down like this because of something like this since 2005 when there was a glitch in the communication system that caused everything to go crazy. But that was right before the stock market closed that that happened. This happened late morning. There were still four and a half hours. I believe the stock market closed at 4 p.m. Mm-hmm. Um, so four and a half hours of trading and open market left. Um, and I don't really know what the computer glitch was. I didn't see anything. Uh, really explaining in depth what the computer glitch was. I saw a few rumors floated out there, um, but it was definitely interesting and coincidental uh, when considering the whole Greek fiasco. Uh, but also, United Airlines had flights grounded all across the country uh, because of a network problem caused by a faulty router. Actually, the FAA made them ground the flights uh, because of this faulty router. Of all things, a friggin' router. Um, across the country, United Airlines flights were grounded, um, and United Airlines has begun... Uh, issuing these waivers to people who either missed flights or had to deal with delayed flights, and they're still dealing with delayed flights uh, as a result of this mass grounding of the United Airlines flights. So there's been a big residual effect um, as well. So it's pretty insane that on on one day you have these two huge networks uh, that kind of go down uh, or, or have serious issues to the point where things almost grind to a halt. Uh, but yeah, just definitely notable. Yeah, it was really interesting because I didn't really know what was going on. The first tweet I saw was a quoted tweet and someone said, oh boy, this isn't good. And the original tweet was something like, the New York, New York Stock Exchange has halted trading, no reason issued or something like that. And of course, people were freaking out. And then combined with the United Airlines stuff, and I think there were a few other issues, smaller issues that were going on, not only in the US, but I think 
the tube system in London. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. It was shut down all day, something like that. Um, then, of course, you know, the Greek stuff and the Chinese stuff. It's kind of crazy that all of that stuff kind of happened around the same time period. And, of course, you know, they're saying it's a technical glitch. I think one of the excuses was that there was some sort of an upgrade the night before. I don't know. I think maybe they were just running on Comcast or something. But yeah. it was just kind of crazy at all this stuff and of course they're never going to come out and say what actually happened i'm assuming because they did reopen the stock exchange later in the day right before closing i'm assuming it's nothing major that they're covering up otherwise it probably would have remained closed if it was some sort of cyber attack but there was one tweet i think that said President Obama was notified and is keeping a close eye on things, which kind of sparked even more conspiracy theories. Um, But who knows? I mean, just was it yesterday or today? There was another, and you were talking about this earlier, another 21 million social security numbers that were hacked. Yeah, second government hack I saw, 20 million plus socials uh, stolen, and who knows where they are. (laughs) freaking Russian black market or if it's just in some geek's basement in uh you know North Arlington or something. <laughs> That's true. And it's crazy how many how many attacks both cyber and regular are not only taking place but being foiled every single day. There was just an article on CNN. This has nothing to do with much of anything, but I just read an article on CNN a few minutes before the podcast that on July 4th or you know surrounding July 4th the FBI foiled potentially dozens of attacks, some of which were minutes away from happening around July 4th. Um, I guess it was the Saturday, right? July, Saturday, July 4th. Um, And it's, I'm honestly surprised there hasn't been any sort of major attack lately, but you know, I'm hoping that the FBI is doing a very good job at foiling these things, but it's, it's crazy how, how many people hate us. Yeah, no, definitely true. So anyway, moving on to slightly lighter news, but maybe equally as frustrating. This uh, was Adobe, very frustrating. Uh, Adobe has finally updated the Creative Cloud desktop client, which, by the way, was the only way to actually update your Creative Cloud software. Correct me if I'm wrong, Howard. Um yes. Basically, there was a really annoying pop-up issue where Creative Cloud would decide that it was going to update right now. And this pop-up would pop up and distract you, just like interrupt you right in the middle of whatever you were working on um, and to hang out there and Creative Cloud would do its thing and update. Uh, I actually never suffered from this uh, this very annoying sounding pop-up issue. I don't know if you have, Howard, um, but it, it sounds crazy. The update promises additional fixes as well, one of which I have hoped has been the case, something that I have suffered from, is just the uh, the download of the new Creative Cloud update freezing, getting to a certain point and just staying there. And you have to uninstall the entire Creative Cloud updater uh, or desktop client, whatever you want to call it, and then reinstall it and hope the download works the second time around. Oh, interesting. I haven't experienced that one, but I did experience the bug that pops up the Creative Cloud desktop app and starts updating, and it was a little bit frustrating. Now, it's interesting. It brings up a whole different discussion about software and updates in general. I was actually following somebody on Twitter who used to work for Apple, like Apple Corporate on the iTunes team, and this was right around when the new version of iTunes came out with Apple Music, which we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. And he was kind of going through some of the behind the scenes of updating software 
And people were saying, well, well, no one uses this feature. Why don't you just remove it? And no one uses this or just fix this or just fix that. And he basically said, you know, that's not the reality. You can't just go in and fix something because people have tried that before. People have gone in to try and remove a feature that they didn't think people were using where it turns out people were using it. And people have gone in to try and fix features that people claim were broken. But when you start fixing one thing, it all ties in whatever in the in the back end or whatever it might be, it all ties into other features. So if you mess with one code, it's going to affect something else. So there's a good possibility that, you know, maybe this wasn't exactly what Adobe wanted to happen. They just maybe updated something else and it caused this thing to pop up in the foreground. And also when you're dealing with a mass amount of users, you really can't test for everything. I don't think this pop-up thing was happening for everybody, but, you know, it's hard to really beta test with only a, a small group of people. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely tough, and there's a lot that goes into it. Um, and I know I was seeing a lot of comments, too. People sort of, you know, stop the CC madness. This is ridiculous. Um, this is exactly what people were complaining about when you first announced the CC model, which is kind of true. It, it would be nice if there was, like, a non-forced update kind of thing. Um, but, you know, I mean, there are a lot of people paying well over $500 a year for... Uh, access to these creative cloud apps and just the this still the level of inconvenience is, is is pretty annoying but there are and that's not to say there aren't a lot of good things about uh, creative cloud because there are oh I, I absolutely love it and just a side note in your creative cloud desktop app if you click on the gear icon you go to preferences you can actually turn off that feature that uh, updates automatically if you don't really want that to happen and there you go. So you learn something new every day. Um, mm-hmm. So on to the next thing. You mentioned actually Slack earlier on in the podcast just in passing uh, about you know working with uh, full screen. I did. Well, I didn't even have, plan that either. They have released or brought mentioned this thing. I think it was earlier today or yesterday on their blog, this emoji reactions uh, sort of favoriting response feature. Um, so basically, for those of you that aren't aware of it, Slack is a messaging app that's used for sort of teams of people. Like in your case, Howard, I'm sure it was that everyone at the office or everyone in the marketing and, and product production team is in a, a Slack group. Yeah, we have one for all of full screen, which allows everyone to get into the same basically organization within Slack. And then within that, they're able to, I guess, admins are able to set up different groups. So we have like a general group where we can just talk about whatever throughout the day. And then there are additional subgroups for each product team and then each product that's, sorry, each team. And then there are additional groups for the different projects that we're all working on. So we kind of keep things very organized. Right. So it's it's almost like a, uh, a replacement for an intranet. Well, not really for an intranet. Uh, but just it, 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 it allows you to more or less instant message between team members rather than have to email or text or anything like that. Right. Um, and so everyone on the team is getting essentially all the updates all at once. Right. Well, so they've, they've introduced this. Um, I guess it, it was sort of it seemed like or it sounded like reading the blog post that it was spawned because they were figuring out a way to favorite messages uh, to sort of quickly collect a list of things. Uh, but they didn't like that if you collected a list of favorites that it wasn't really shared with the with the whole community of people. Um, and someone came up with the idea while they were arguing about what kind of icon to use. Hey, why not just use emoji? Uh, which they did. And it's actually pretty cool 
And I know it might seem nuanced because it's like, who the heck uses Slack? Not everyone does. Um, why do we care about this? Well, the interesting thing is you can use any emoji you want to sort of quote-unquote favorite or thumbs up or thumbs down or high five or fist bump or, you know, devil face somebody's status update or, or somebody's update, I should say, on Slack. Uh, and, and people can sort of pile on. So let's say your boss... Uh, posts an update that, hey, Howard, I need you to take care of, uh, you know, clean out the coffee maker. And Howard, you can just respond with like, you know, one of the little check emoji. You know what I mean? Or a poop uh, and then emoji. Right, exactly. And your boss can see that the job was done and can just respond with like a thumbs up after that. So it's like very instantaneous, even almost faster than texting. Uh, not only interaction with somebody's status or somebody's update, uh, but also allows you to sort of have a conversation beneath that very, very quickly. I think this whole thing is interesting because I can see something like this happening to both text messages, uh, Facebook status updates, tweets, uh, all kinds of things like that where you're able to sort of send somebody a message almost in one click. Because right now, yeah, sure, on, a, on like an iPhone, you can tweet directly at somebody and say, hey, thumbs up. But you have to click the respond to tweet button add the thumbs up, and then choose the tweet button. This would almost be just as easy as favoriting a tweet where you just press the star and bam, you favorited the tweet. Uh, so I don't, it seems really, really cool. Definitely something that I'm going to keep my eye on because uh, it seems like something that uh, my intuition tells me some bigger companies are going to jump on a feature like this and we're going to start seeing this kind of thing uh, all over the web. I think so, yeah. Unfortunately, I haven't had any time to actually play with this because I haven't updated Slack. Um, I was going to, and then my computer crashed this morning, and then I just haven't had a chance to update anything on this laptop that I'm using right now. But it definitely sounds like an interesting feature, and Slack is um, definitely one of my favorite work tools. It just makes life so much easier, and we're always looking for new ways to communicate or just quickly favorite something just to let people know that this is done. Um it's really interesting. Maybe next week when I actually start using this thing, I'll discuss my thoughts on it. But from the from the you know face of it, it looks really cool. Yeah, and if you can't quite understand what it is, uh, again, there's a link over in the the blog post, tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 22, and you can check it out over there for sure. Um, so the, uh, the next uh, bit of news here, Howard, I'll let you take. Um, just because it's almost something that we've talked a little bit about, but not quite, uh, but definitely Mac-centric. And, well, yeah, I mean, if you want to break it in, and I'll, I'll give you my thoughts on it. I haven't actually looked into this yet. I just noticed this one here. Um, <laughs> what it looks like, it looks like... Uh, I don't know what this looks like. What does it look like, Nathaniel? Well, it, uh, basically... <laughs> basically... <laughs> I didn't even see that one in their pre-notes. Well, well, I mean, you and I, we've talked about the iPad Pro, Right and the the excitingness of that you got the touch force display and the stylus it's going to allow for like this very true operating system and Photoshop within a real operating system experience on an iPad. Well, there is a an app called AstroPad that costs twenty bucks that basically transforms your iPad, your current iPad, into a full on graphics tablet. Um, this AstroPad uses a technology called Liquid. Um, and Liquid basically, I, I, from the sound of it, I, I didn't really look into it that that much, but it sounds like it ensures that the work that you're seeing on the iPad uh, is color corrected with the display that you're using, let's say your iMac, 
um, and also is Retina Display ready? I think from just the the framework of Liquid, because of its sort of closeness to um, closeness to I guess the Apple OS, Liquid has a significantly shorter delay time. It's about 12 milliseconds compared with mm. about 32 milliseconds when you're connecting via AirPlay. So that's pretty cool. I know I have an AirPlay speaker here, and there is definitely a, a delay. You know, if you throw a, a YouTube video, let's say, on your phone and you want to listen through the AirPlay speaker, there is a little bit of a delay. Uh, so that's really cool. Uh, AstroPad allows you to connect to your Mac and work with virtually any Mac application via Wi-Fi or USB. I didn't see anything about it working with Windows devices uh, or connecting to Windows and working that way, so that would kind of stink for... Uh, those of us who are on Windows operating system. Um, now, because you're not using a TouchForce iPad, uh, it doesn't appear that there is any support of kind of varying pressure. You know what I mean? There's no, no right, pressure was, sensitivity. Yeah, I was going to mention that there are some pens or styluses that do mimic pressure sensitivity. I think Adobe's pen has that, and there is another one that uses Bluetooth to kind of mimic that. It doesn't mention if it's actually integrated with those pens but like you said because there's no force touch you still really can't have that pressure sensitivity right out of the box um and what's interesting a little side note is that there was a patent that apple filed sometime in the late uh, sometime recently and there was i think it came out today that they're looking at ways to implement styluses like an actual pointy stylus to future touchscreen devices when you combine this with Fort's touch and all these other patents that came out we may see some sort of an ipad pro type thing at some point in the future which would be really cool but looking at this astro pad which is kind of an interesting i'm definitely going to try this once i actually um get my hands on my ipad again um it looks like you can actually rearrange the workspace a little bit so you can put your photoshop i mean you can do that in photoshop but it looks like that syncs over as well which is really interesting of course you don't have you know all the the features that you would have on let's say a windows surface computer with the stylus and everything but it looks like a nice alternative yeah, it, it, they don't really, uh, they aren't very forthright in letting you know its true limitations. Like you said, can I work on a true full-fledged Photoshop document? Is this just sort of, I'm, I'm assuming it's essentially mimicking the display of your Mac over onto the iPad and allowing you to actually work on, you know, Photoshop Illustrator. I know it specifically said it can, can work with something like Illustrator as well. Um, and in fact, I believe it said virtually any Mac app. Um, that being said, it still would not be like the iPad Pro that we've talked about because you still need to have a, a desktop or a laptop within Wi-Fi shot of this tablet. Uh, you can't just pull it out of your backpack while you're walking through the woods and Photoshop an image you just took. Do you know what I'm saying? You still do, need yeah. that. You need that mothership there on your desktop uh, to provide the support for the iPad. Uh, for twenty bucks, though, I mean, it seems pretty cool, um, and certainly it could be something I could imagine using it like in a photo studio where you have Wi-Fi, you have your computer workstations there. Let's just say you bring an iPad out to the shooting area with you, and you're tethering and you're shooting, and you want to do some quick touch-up for the client or the creative mm. director or just the person who you're photographing right there, and say, "Hey, look, boom! We can paint that away with a little healing brush." You know bam, we can change the tone of your skin and rectify that horrendous spray tan that you got over the weekend or, you know, so on <laughs> and so forth. So I, I, there's, it seems like there's, there's, there's a lot of use for it. Um, but again, I would have to get my hands on it, like you said, and really test drive it and see 
really where the limitations are because I wasn't I, I read what I could read on it um, and saw it there in the um, the app store um, but I can't figure out exactly uh, kind of exactly what it is I can see based on the, the the screenshots and the photos they show of it or the mock-ups whatever um, what it appears to be but of course especially with something like this you really don't know until you get your hands on it and really kind of you know test drive it yeah, and I'm definitely, after this podcast, I'm probably going to download it on our iPad Air. And what's really nice, and you don't see this very often, is the reviews. If you click on the App Store link, they're pretty much all five stars and some four and a half stars. So that's very promising for an app like this. So I'm going to try it out, and I'm going to write it off on my taxes next year, and I'm going to uh, talk about it maybe next week on uh, the episode 23 of the Weekies podcast. So I will let you know what I think of this next week. Yeah, that would definitely be great, especially because it's obviously it's a little bit more expensive than your uh, your average app weighing in at twenty bucks. So you know, yeah, it would be great to get some hands-on experience and say, hey, look, yeah, it connects to Mac. It appears to be Mac only, um, and just kind of its limitations. And speaking of Mac apps, one new Mac app that actually came out just today, or at least officially, was Affinity Photo. And we've spoken about Affinity Photo in the past. They've done a public beta for how many months? It's been, you know, five months or something like that. It's been a while. I think we talked about Affinity in our very first podcast, actually. Oh, was it our first podcast? We might have. Yeah, it was that long ago. And I've been using it on and off for a while. And I've given my thoughts on my YouTube channel. And at some point, I did actually start another YouTube channel specifically for Affinity Photo Tutorials, which I don't know at this point due to certain reasons if I'm able to continue that channel, but maybe I'll discuss some of that reasoning in the future. But anyways, Affinity Photo is now available on the App Store with an introductory price of $40, which I believe is 20% off the price it's going to be once the introduction period has come to an end, whatever that might be. Now, if you're not familiar with Affinity Photo, it is... I guess in a nutshell, a Photoshop competitor. It's supposed to go directly at Photoshop. It's supposed to be a very cheap application you can buy once and it wants to do everything Photoshop can do. Now, is that the case? To an extent, it does. It does a lot that Photoshop can do. You know, healing, liquefy, transforming, perspective, all that fun stuff. And to its advantage, Affinity Photo is incredibly fast. Doesn't matter if you're working on a hundred megabyte file or or a, you know fifty uh, megapixel image. It's going to be incredibly fast. Now, in terms of competing directly with Photoshop, I don't think it'll ever match Photoshop. There are a few things in Photoshop. You have the feature called Refine. Sorry, color. Um, my mind just went blank. Uh, color range. You have color range under the select menu in Photoshop. And Affinity Photo has a comparable feature, but it just doesn't do nearly, it just it just doesn't work that well. And I find that's the case with a lot of tools in Affinity Photo. It just doesn't work the way it does in Photoshop. And not because the interface is different. I don't think the algorithms are that strong in Affinity Photo. 
Gotcha. Have you done any like side by side affinity versus Photoshop? Let's say Refine Edge versus Refine Edge, or similar fee if there, you know whatever features are comparable, something like that. I um, have, and a few of them are sort of comparable, like Content Aware or whatever Affinity Photo calls it, the healing tools. They're pretty f similar because it's basically the same algorithm. It analyzes the surrounding area and it kind of does its best to mask out or heal out whatever you brushed over top of. In that respect, it does a decent job. But when it comes to definitely the color range feature, it's not even, for some reason, it just doesn't select the colors like it does in Photoshop. Um, a tool like Liquify is probably very similar. So there are a lot of features that are very similar, and I wouldn't be surprised if there's some legal action that Adobe may or may not take against uh, the guys over at Serif. I don't know, because some of the features are just way too similar, but I don't know what legal action they can take. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, from the outset, it looked very interesting. It is a Mac OS only application though, correct? It is. They have stated publicly that once the Mac application is released and polished, they're going to start working on a Windows version of it, which I think will be a huge selling point because a lot of people, especially those who can't really, or don't want to spend a lot of money on a photo editing software, mostly hobbyists, they, a lot of them use Windows. So I think that'll boost their sales quite a bit. Yes, I would tend to agree with you. So, uh, moving on from that, the Canon 5DS, uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago, it's Canon's big 50-plus megapixel flagship still photography camera, um, almost the uh, purported as the competitor to medium format, if you will. Canon hasn't purported that. It just sort of seems that way. Uh, got its DxO Mark scores. Um, now the, uh, the DxO has returned a verdict on this newest piece of Canon gear, uh, and it's the highest marks a Canon camera has ever received. However, mm. it is still significantly lower than both Nikon's D810 and the Sony A7R. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't believe that was the A7 II. Um, and and it ranks lower in fairly important areas such as overall sensor score, portrait color depth, dynamic range, and low light ISO capability. Um, it's it's a little bit lower, um, but you know, uh, DxO basically says the 5DS still sits outside of the top 20, and this shows just how far behind Canon is in the war of sensors. It seems that every single week we're talking about Canon and how they're falling behind Sony and Nikon, and you know, this week it's just one more thing, and. I, you know, I don't want to get too much into it because I've gotten into it, I think, in every single episode in the last few weeks. It, as a Canon user for the last 10 plus years, it's so disappointing to see Canon just not keeping up. You know, I don't really expect Canon to release something that's revolutionary, that's going to blow the market away. But I at least, I, I kind of wish they would just keep up, release something with great 4K footage or great low light. There was an article or a comparison, I don't know when it was, maybe last week, that showed how different cameras compare when it comes to low light noise performance. And the Sony A7, I think it was the A7R, maybe the A7S, I don't know, had unbelievable, at like 104,000 ISO, it was still a pretty decent photo. And, you know, Canon was all the way down there with a disgusting looking photo. But... I don't know. It's just, it just seems to be the trend nowadays. Canon's just fallen behind. Yeah, I'm not sure um, really how to take it. I, Canon has been such a 
uh, an innovator and kind of first to the table with a lot of the stuff. It's very interesting to see them in the situation that they're in. Um, there's still there still is a lot of value to a Canon camera because of the completeness of the Canon system. And I mean, you know, we are we're sort of splitting hairs. I mean, there is a bit of a difference uh, when it comes to something like dynamic range between the two cameras, um, but. You know, I mean, where where do we draw the line between pixel peeping and sort of splitting these hairs uh, rather than focusing on the craft? That being said, I would tend to agree with you, Howard, where it is kind of disconcerting um, because there there comes a certain point where you do need a good tool uh, to keep up from a technical standpoint with the way the market is moving and what your competitors are shooting with. You know, I mean, there's there's no doubt uh, that if you're out shooting with a medium format camera, you're going to get jobs of a different uh, ilk than somebody who's shooting with, you know, a prosumer level DSLR Canon Digital Rebel XT or something or, or T5i, uh, unless you're an extraordinarily well-known photographer who has something of an amazing portfolio. So it's not to say that the great gear is going to make you a better photographer, mm-hmm. but it certainly changes the perception around you. Um, and, and as a photographer, you want to know that your tool is not in any way going to limit your craft. I don't want to have to think about uh, low-light capability per se. I don't want to have to think about moir. I don't want to have to think about severe chromatic aberration on shiny surfaces at a high ISO. I don't want to think about that. I don't want to have to think about am I blowing out the sky uh, because I'm trying to properly uh, expose the foreground. Uh, And we're talking, I mean, the difference in dynamic range between the 5DS and like the D810, for instance, it's nearly two stops. Uh, So it's it's like a 12.7 to a 14.6 or something uh, when it comes to the, 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 I believe they call it EV range or something. Uh, on the on the D10 versus the 5DS, so it's it's substantial, and you know to have this camera that you know is every bit as expensive as a D810, and by the way is the newest DSLR the Canon's put out, and it isn't standing up from a technical standpoint. It kind of makes you go like, hey, what's up, Canon? Yeah, and what bothers me even more amongst a lot of things that Canon's doing these days is that Canon is primarily a camera company. I mean, that's really all they make, aside from a few other things here and there. And you look at a company like Sony, who makes televisions and microwaves and refrigerators and and cameras, and they're blowing Canon out of the water. And it just makes me wonder what's going on. And we touched on it in a previous episode And, you know, there's a very strong possibility that there are some people at Canon who look at something like 4K and in a boardroom somewhere in wherever they're based out of, they basically say, well, you know, the majority of people won't be using 4K video, so we're not going to put it in there. If the competitors have it, whatever, we're Canon, we're going to sell cameras anyway. And I really hope that's not the case, but... It's starting to seem that way because they definitely have the resources. They have the capability of adding these things like 4K video, which is almost standard now into some of their lower end cameras like the Lumix LX100 that I'm using or that new Sony that we talked about a few weeks ago. And I just, it's just so frustrating. 
Yeah, and it and from a marketing standpoint, it's just stupid because 4K is just another feature that you can sell. So I uh, don't, I don't, I, I don't. As as someone yeah. who works in marketing now, I would hate to work for Canon because you're, you know, I've I've been in the situation where you have to market something that's that you all know is lacking and behind all your competitors. So you have to start marketing little features that really probably no one would really care about, but you have to over market them because it's lacking everything else. Yeah, no, I agree. So anyway, moving on, Russia has unveiled a safe selfies campaign as apparently the death count from dangerous selfies continues to rise in Russia. I, I, I mean, it sounds like a story from the onion, right? It really does. And it's, it's, I, I, I couldn't believe it the first time I saw it. And I, I totally thought it was from some sort of satire website or satire news source, but it's an actual thing in Russia. They, they're actually launching the self safe selfies campaign. And it's, you know, it's almost not surprising because I've seen so many videos and so many photos of Russian kids. I don't know if it's because there's not much to do in certain parts of Russia, or I don't know. I don't know the reason, but they climb up to these massive towers with no harnesses, no nothing, absolutely no safety. And they take these selfies and these videos of themselves doing literally the, the stupidest things I've ever seen. And I've never seen, obviously because I'm watching the video, it you know the person survived. But I'm sure it happens a lot where someone's doing this to either impress friends or impress YouTube or whatever it might be. And... They slip or a gust of wind comes by and there they go. Um, I don't know if a campaign like this is really necessary or if it really change anything, but it's interesting to see Russia doing something like that. And the question comes now, is something like that needed in the United States? Are selfies becoming this dangerous thing? Like, Are people driving and taking selfies? Is it kind of like the next don't text and drive campaign? Yeah, don't, don't selfie and and surf or something didn't wasn't it just uh disney world that banned the selfie stick earlier in the week as well yeah and they've been it's been rumored that they were going to ban the self the selfie stick from disney because it causes safety concerns and i think the trigger for this banning was someone brought it on uh what's that ride in the wooden log that you go down this water thing the yeah the log flume i forget it's not called the log flume it's like the Riptide Rapids or something. Something like that. Yeah, someone brought one a selfie stick on one of those rides, and it was... I don't know if anyone was actually injured, but certainly someone could have been injured, because those yeah, things are took, very dangerous, especially when, on your, when you're on roller coasters. Yeah, it took some poor kid's head off or something ridiculous. Um, and I... Uh, the, the signs for this particular campaign, I mean, it's stuff like, you know, somebody taking a selfie while, like, waving a gun behind them. Um, you know, there was one climbing an electrical tower, which goes to your point about people climbing up to the tops of things. But this very clearly looked like one of those extraordinarily dangerous, not just because you're climbing high kind of electric towers, but because there's hundreds of thousands of volts of electricity passing through kind of electric tower. Uh, yeah. So it was, yeah, it was just very, yeah. Uh, but it, it's it, interesting. if you're looking at, if you're looking at this photo, I'm looking at it right now, it looks like the overall theme is don't risk your life to, you know, take a picture of you doing something you shouldn't be doing in the first place, like jumping in front of a train or climbing on electrical tower or standing in the middle of a highway when two cars are coming at you. I think that's the overall theme because I realize people are doing really stupid and dangerous things strictly to get likes on Instagram. 
Yeah, and and I would say nobody cares, but people do care. You're gonna get a lot of likes if you do this, um, but you know, likes don't get you out of the coffin either. Yeah, and speaking of Instagram, let's jump over to our next story. And I'm skipping one if you're reading this, Nathaniel. Um, Instagram might be getting higher quality photos, finally. So if you are stupid and you climb on an electrical tower, which I don't recommend you do, and you upload it to Instagram, we might be able to see the voltage coming out of your face a little bit more clearly. So right now, Instagram has photos of 640 by 640, and if you know anything about resolution of photos, that is incredibly small. It is the square ratio, which we're all used to on Instagram, but you know, we're now getting much bigger monitors. We're getting bigger devices with higher quality resolution, retina displays, high DPI displays, so on and so forth. So Instagram has to keep up. And until now, the max size was 640 by 640, even though we're looking at it on screens that are like 3000 pixels wide, not a pleasant experience. So the rumor is that they're going to be bumping their photos up to 1080 by 1080, which still isn't huge, but it's certainly a step in the right direction. Actually, The Verge found that Instagram is now storing new photos at 1080 by 1080. So it's not older photos. It won't convert your older photos. It's and Instagram wasn't, I suppose, saving higher resolutions resolution images that you were uploading. It's just going forward. Now, nobody really knows when Instagram is going to flip the switch, but it's assumed that they've already started to collect your high-resolution photos. So when they do release an update to the app or the web client or whatever it might be, you'll be able to see these higher-resolution photos, which it's overdue, and it's nice to see, but, you know, it's happening finally, hopefully. Yeah, it's definitely cool to see, and I think one of the other kind of side effects of it that will also be kind of neat is if you're at all using Instagram to edit your photos which whether you should or shouldn't, I guess that's debatable. But I mean, it is, it is, it, it's an editor that certainly has gotten better over the past months and years for yep. sure. Um, and especially if you do more of the manual editing and not necessarily the instamatic, whatever, you know, presets, filters, um, it, it typically will save a copy of that photo onto your phone. And at 640 by 640, it was borderline useless if you were to, let's say, take that photo and put it on your blog or use it on Facebook or virtually any other application. So to bump it up to 1080 by 1080, I think is going to help not only with the desktop viewing on Instagram, but also people who are linking through to like Facebook uh, or people who are going to take the photo off their phone and use it for something else. Maybe you want to print it out. You're going to get a better print out of a, uh, an image that's 1080 by 1080 on a technical standpoint uh, than you would a 640 by 640 image. Yeah, it's a very good point, actually, because I have found myself more often than not when I upload a photo to Instagram, like you said, it does save it to your camera roll, and I'll just turn around, hop into Twitter, because I don't like posting the link to Instagram because it doesn't actually show the picture in Twitter. So I'll just take that same picture that was edited throw it on Twitter and, you know, there it goes. And if the photo is now 1080 by 1080, again, not super high resolution, but definitely higher, it'll give, you know, my viewers or my fans a much nicer experience. So that's kind of cool. Now, speaking of photo editing in a very different aspect, there was a new product a that- very analog, analog perspective. Ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> a new product was just released- was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday, called Palette. And I think in 2013, there was a Kickstarter campaign for this thing. And you know my feelings about Kickstarter. I'm not a big fan of it. I did not fund this product because product, I didn't know about it until a few months ago when they got in contact with me about it. 
It's called Palette, and it's basically a modular product that allows you to control your computer or certain applications on your computer using sliders and dials and buttons. Like you said, very analog, which is interesting. It's a company based in Canada. And a few months ago, they did get in contact with me and they sent me one of their units, which I actually have to send back. uh, Canadian connection. uh, Of course. I have to send it back because the beta hardware, which was it must be like six months old now, doesn't really communicate well with the publicly released software. So they're sending me a new one. They're exchanging it. But anyways, I have used it uh, over the last few months and it's actually much better than I thought it would be. So what you're able to do is you're able to hook this modular unit and you have to go to Nathaniel's blog post to actually look at this thing or paltgear.com. Yeah, and I was going to say, to interrupt you for a second, when yep. you use the term modular, you're talking about you can build out multiple sliders, multiple dials, multiple buttons as you see fit. Yeah, so I'm actually holding it right now. And I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but did you hear that? Yeah, it sounded like you uh, chambered a bullet in a gun. Oh, well, that's not what I wanted. But it's, <laughs> it's modules... And some are buttons, some are sliders, some are dials, and they snap together via magnets so you don't have to like push anything in or anything like that. And what you're able to do is hook hook the central unit up to your computer via USB and you download this software, uh, the palette software, you tell it which application you want to use, let's say Lightroom, which I've been using quite often, and you're able to assign these buttons, dials, and sliders to specific features within Lightroom. So if you want to copy or paste, you can do that with just a press of the button. If you want to adjust the clarity slider or the exposure, the contrast, whatever feature you use most in an application like Photoshop or Lightroom or After Effects, or even some video games are supported as well, you can assign directly to these buttons, dials, or sliders. Now, the the one downside that some people have noticed that I didn't really notice until I was told about it is that the sliders are not mechanical. So one example that I think Petapixel brought up is that if you're on an image and you slide your slider to the right or up, whatever, whatever orientation it is, so that your saturation is at negative 30 or positive 30, whatever, and then you hop over to another image, your slider is basically in the same position. So if you just touch your slider, the saturation is automatically going to be bumped to positive or negative 30, whatever you set it at in the last photo. So it's not mechanical, which some people are a little bit annoyed about. And apparently the company, or I guess Palette, whoever, whatever company it is, they're looking into building mechanical sliders, but it's not something on their radar right now. Yeah, that seems interesting. That is an interesting uh quandary to have i suppose because i would envision using something like palette if i had a retouching station uh where i would just set it out there and i would have these physical sliders it's got to be faster than using the mouse i can't imagine it's not faster than using your mouse and grabbing the little tiny sliders and adjusting them that way just boom slide slide back and forth back and forth find the sweet spot done on to the next back and forth back and forth back and forth find the sweet spot done and so on and so forth um but yeah i mean if you go to the next image and all the sliders are still in place how do you reset the physical slider uh, to what it needs to be in order to start fresh from a second unretouched photo that might not need the exact same settings applied to it? Yeah, it's a bit strange, but the overall user experience is pretty interesting. I've never thought I would 
enjoy something like this but like you said it's so much faster than using a mouse you don't have to like move your mouse over to the side of the screen and scroll till you find the clarity slider because the clarity slider is set to one of your dials you just turn the dial and it just starts moving no matter where that slider is or no no matter where your mouse is it just kind of works so i hope they figure out the whole slider thing i'm sure something can be done with a software update but for people who like mechanical uh, sliders, that's something they're thinking about, but I don't know if they're going to you know, fix it or not or release new ones. And off the top of your head, do you know what the price is? I believe I do. I think the starter kit, which comes with five, it comes with like a button, a slider, uh, a dial, and something else. I think it, it's $199, and there's a professional kit, and there's like a wooden kit. And let me just go to their website for a second because I have it right here. Um, okay. uh, yeah, because I would imagine not only would you get sort of a starter kit, but then you could buy individual modules to, to based on your particular workflow. I mean, you I, can. I mean, if yeah. I, so, if I so there's an aluminum sliders. starter kit, which okay. five modules, one core. With by the way, they all have LED screens. So the the core module has you can set like profiles and it shows you which application you're in and the profile name, which is kind of cool. Um, it comes with two buttons, one dial and one slider for one ninety nine. There's an aluminum, there's an expert kit, which comes with eight modules. There's a limited edition wood professional kit with 15 modules for, well, that's $900, but very few people are probably going to buy that. The professional aluminum kit is $499 for 15 modules. And then of course, like you mentioned, you can buy a bunch of them separately. Okay, so what is it like fifty bucks or so for an individual module, something like that? It sounds like the buttons are twenty nine, the dials okay. and sliders are fifty. Okay, gotcha. All right, yeah, I mean that's it, it's definitely a really interesting concept. Um, it sounds like, like you said, there's some kinks they need to work out, but it seems like the kind of thing where if you were to have this at a retouching station, particularly like let's say you know wedding photography, where you can just quickly go in and boom, 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 boom. All right, cool, got that set. That looks great and be able to just so quickly change uh, all of your different basic settings uh, and more through an interface like this, I would think would be extraordinarily useful. Oh, totally. I can definitely see myself using this for a long period of time. Now, of course, this isn't for something who someone who just does this sort of thing for a hobby because this is something that's pretty pricey, and this is something for somebody who does this for a living that wants to increase their workflow a little bit because even something like moving your mouse to the right side of the screen and scrolling to find a certain slider. If you're doing that for a hundred images, that's going to add potentially hours on your workflow where if you can just like grab one slider and turn it, move to the next image, one slider and turn it, it would speed up your workflow tremendously. And if that's the case, then 199 or even $500 is really not much of an investment. By the way, this is not sponsored. Gotcha. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, and if you want to check it out and see photos and things like that, uh, go over to the site www.tutvid.com slash wegeeks slash episode 22. Uh, there's a new GoPro Hero 4 that I saw the other day. It looks like a little cube. Another uh, one? Did a, they just with, release a GoPro? Yeah, they did. This is called the GoPro Hero 4 Session. It looks like it's just a little black cube with a lens on one side. No waterproof housing is needed. It's just waterproof. Interesting. Um, 
it it's very very small uh, GoPro says that it's 50% smaller and 40% lighter than other Hero 4 cameras which is crazy uh, extraordinarily flexible when it comes to the different ways you can mount it uh, to all kinds of things it's got a built-in ball joint uh, you can obviously capture photos uh, and you can also do a lot of video stuff with it. It's waterproof up to 10 meters, about 33 feet underwater. Uh, simple one-button control. I mean, GoPros are pretty well known for having, you know, fairly, fairly simple controls. I mean, most GoPros have two or three buttons. Uh, it'll flip into auto low light. Um, there's just a lot uh, that it has. There's a dual microphone system, which is great. One of the annoying things I know with my GoPro currently is just the... Uh, Basically, the microphone, if it's behind, you know, it's, it's on the back of the camera. If you put the waterproof housing right. on, you can't really hear anything. Uh, but, you know, what if, uh, you know, it's, just, it's kind of annoying. Uh, it's compatible with all existing GoPro mounts, which is great. You can kind of mount it any which way you want because it's a square. Uh, there's no need to flip your po your footage in post-production. It automatically rotates. Uh, so it's really cool. It's got all the built-in Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, just like you would expect. Um, now, it does not shoot 4K. It goes up to a 1440 by 1920 resolution. Um, mm -hmm. So there's sort of like it's it's very squarish. Um, but I guess that would afford you the uh, opportunity to, co to capture more footage and throw it into a 1080p document uh, in post and pick kind of part of the part of the video you want. I could see how that would be useful. 30 frames per second, 25 frames per second. Uh, you can get six up to 60 frames per second at just a straight 1080p, which is cool. Uh, there is the 1080p Super View, uh, which is, uh, I guess, a different f sort of ultra-wide uh, you can get up to a 48 frames per second uh, shooting with that. And then obviously you can go all the way up to 120 frames per second if you're shooting at just like a, essentially uh, what would be, you know, 480p video. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Um, it, it, it's, it's a neat looking camera. It's super small. It looks like it's crazy compact. It's great that you don't need waterproof housing. It just is. It's a little camera you can keep in your pocket. Um, I don't really like that, you know, you're kind of locked into 1080p. Um, but you know, it, it looks like it has the same great dynamic range that you'd expect from GoPro and all of that. Um, you know, it's $400, which is probably a bit much. Uh, but I definitely think there's a market for a camera like this. It's, it's so much smaller. You can fit it in areas that I'm sure you could have never put a larger GoPro. And I feel weird saying that, you know, comparing this to a, a larger GoPro. Um, but basically it's just being marketed as the super small GoPro camera. Uh, super small, super light, waterproof, rugged, uh, just what you would want to throw on the front of your surfboard or on the front of your bike uh, and go mudding or go for a surf, you know, off the coast of uh, Anguilla. Yeah, it's really interesting. I didn't think GoPros could get any smaller, but here we are with the Hero 4 Session, and it's a tiny little thing. I guess if you're someone who does extreme sports and you don't want this, <laughs> I kind of want to say clunky GoPro hanging off your helmet, which the GoPros are already small enough, you can get an even smaller GoPro. I don't have much to add to it. It's not something I would really consider, cons considering I don't really need much of a you know camera for extreme sports because I definitely don't do anything, but you know, it's nice to see that they're making them smaller and smaller. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I don't know if I mentioned it's $399, so about 400 bucks will net it for you. Uh, whether or not it's worth it for you or not, I guess that's up to you. Uh, sure so, Howard, is. I saw you tweeting a little bit about Apple Music uh, earlier today, actually, and them recommending NSYNC's album to you, uh, uh. which virtually prompted you to get rid of iTunes altogether. Um, I've heard I've, and I've seen some stories about iTunes Music or Apple Music, I'm sorry, being a bit of a mess. I have not touched Apple Music at all. I'm 
I'm, I'm locked in with Spotify. Um, I'm happy with Spotify. I have not considered even switching to Apple Music. What's the deal with Apple Music? What do you think about it? What do you like about it? What do you hate about it? Teach me. I haven't used it much because of a bunch of issues and I haven't had much time. But last week, Apple did release Apple Music like they promised on June 30th, I believe it was. And they initially released it with iOS 8.4, which I don't think really was necessary to have a full upgrade to your operating system just to release one extra application. But that's completely beside the point. So they released Apple Music on 8.4 in the morning and... It was nowhere to be found on iTunes. So finally, sometime later in the day, like very later in the day, they released iTunes 12.2, I believe it was, which brought Apple Music support. And for the first day or two, I had a, it just nothing would work for me. I couldn't play the Beats 1 radio station. I couldn't make a playlist, just nothing. Finally, it started working, and I wasn't incredibly impressed. The first thing I tried was Beats 1 radio, which is an always-on radio station that's hosted all around the world. I think New York, London, and Los Angeles. What's really obnoxious about Beats 1 Radio, first of all, I'm not a big fan of the music choices, but besides the point, besides that, they it, it seems like the radio station is always reminding you that it's on Apple Music and... It's always on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Like, after every song, it reminds you that it's always on, which is really annoying after, like, the third or fourth time, and it's all throughout the day. So I hope they get rid of that or dial back on that, but that's one thing that I just can't stand. And then, like you mentioned, it started recommending NSYNC and Britney Spears to me, and, you know, when when you first sign up to Apple Music, you have to tell it what kind of music you listen to. So I put, you know, rock and classic rock and a little bit of pop, and you can kind of like weigh what you like. So if you really like classic rock, or if you really like rock, you can make the circle much bigger than all the other ones. And I don't think in any way, based on what I chose, it should be recommending, like the when I go to the For You tab in Apple Music, the first playlist is, let me see if I can open iTunes, hopefully my computer doesn't explode, because I'm running so many things. I'm going to head over to my music tab. This should be interesting. It should be, if it does show me the same stuff. Go to For You, and it's loading. Of course, it's not the, not the same one, but do Death I have it here? Here, it's called Behind the Boards, Max Martin, and it gives me Robin. I have no idea who that is. Millennium, it looks like a boy band from the 1960s. Britney Spears and the Greatest Hits of NSYNC. And that was my number one playlist. Not because I I want to listen to it, but somehow it assumes that that's what I want to listen to based on what I told Apple Music that I like, which I don't think it's accurate, but whatever. Yeah, I mean that's that sounds uh, interesting. I don't I don't know. I mean, like I said, I have I have virtually no context from which to speak. Um, it doesn't sound like it's the way that Spotify works. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, it, I I could see how listening to Beats One Radio and being reminded that. We're Beats One Radio, and we're always on. That's would be pretty much it. Pretty annoying after every single song. Um, so yeah, no, that's that's kind of that's kind of crazy. So I guess the message or the verdict or the uh, oh, what am I trying to say? The lesson to be learned is that grab Apple Music, download it, update your iPhone, whatever, and uh, let us know what you think on Twitter using the hashtag WeGeeks. Uh, we would definitely love to hear that. Indeed. So, 
Moving on from the news, we wrap that up. The show might be a little less than two hours this week, which will be a refreshing thing. <laughs> uh, we have the quick six, and Howard, I believe, picking up from where we left off, you are supposed to be uh, hitting me with six quick this or that type things, and yes. uh, I'll do my best to answer them quickly, concisively, and controversially. Mm, all right, so I have, I do have six questions. Hopefully, I haven't asked any of these previously. So the first one is, if you can visit anywhere in the world, where would you go? Croatia. Why? I, I have no idea why. I've seen beautiful photos from Croatia, um, and it just, I don't know, there's something about it that seems really, really cool. Um, and then I would say a very close second would be the Gulf or the Gold Coast of Australia. But the, I don't know. I don't know why, because uh, it's a very kind of bizarre choice. I have no connection to it whatsoever. My family's not from there. I don't know anybody there. Uh, but I've just seen some photos of it and just thought, wow, that would be a really cool place to visit. Hmm. It's kind of like me with New Zealand. Never been there, have no one I know that lives there, but it looks beautiful from the photos. I would love to go there and take photos. Anyways, yeah. so next is dogs or cats? Oh, neither. I hate them both. I seriously do. I I, I despise dogs. Okay, let me give you some context. <laughs> I grew up installing flooring with my parents, mm -hmm. and the amount of times we tore out dog urine drenched carpets oh. and the amount of times that we tore out cat urine drenched everything uh at, at the smell i mean wait i don't know if you know this but when you tear out a carpet maybe probably most of you don't know this when you tear out carpet and there's urine left you want to get rid of uh the the living active cultures in the urine so what we would do is we would hit it with bleach uh, well, what happens with animal urine, specifically dogs and cats, is the ammonia in the urine reacts with the bleach and fills the house with this noxious gas that oh. literally knocks you out of the house. Like it, it, it. Your your eyes are going to be burning. It's like somebody you know dropped a, a CS gas grenade in the house and you have to get out. Um, so I've seen both little furry creatures do inestimable damage to people's homes and i hate them hate them hate them both i i out of the two i prefer dogs because i at least see some use to some dogs uh but for the most part cats i view as totally useless uh and quite annoying and uh yeah i just it, it i i really really dislike them i and and just like a personal pet peeve about them usually when i tell the story about dogs and cats urinating usually cats are really the disastrous ones to homes um cat owners in particular always be like well my cat doesn't pee and i remember there was one customer we had tore we had torn up all of her carpet and we said well it looks like your cat you know sort of had a field day and she's like oh no no my cat would never do that and we said well ma'am it was either your cat or you or your husband were having a field day <laughs> So that's I just yeah I I would I would say neither um, but if I absolutely had to have one I would take a German Shepherd or a Husky mm. uh, because I, I I view I view it as at least as some kind of useful animal I don't know what the heck I would use it for uh, but at least they kind of look cool and they have like a, a kick butt kind of mentality to them there you go and that's literally a pet peeve <laughs> yeah, um, yeah right. anyways next question is one that you may not know how to answer may not answer i don't know when you have your first child would you prefer a boy or a girl this is a strange question this, to answer yeah, yeah it's actually it's actually a good question um because it's something that i'm hearing a lot of my mother-in-law is insisting that it's going to be a girl uh my, my wife is pregnant for those of you that don't know um and uh, I, i'm not sure what it is um, I think it would be super awesome to have a boy like anchoring the, 
the first of my kids and somebody who like I can grow, you know, who will grow up and I'll watch them grow up and I'll, you know, be able to play sports or, you know, get into photography or whatever, music, whatever he's going to end up doing. Um, so that would be really great. But also it would be so insanely cool to have a girl as well because like, you know, I don't know. There's just something about like, you know, your little girl, you know what I mean? It's your daughter and, and you can watch her grow and all the things that she's going to get into and, and she'll probably be arguably much more helpful uh, with things around the house and just being like a, that kind of friend who you can talk to like that a little bit more than maybe a son would be. Um, so I don't know. I mean, there's there's pros and cons to both. I honestly am pulling for a healthy child. And if it's a boy, I will be over the moon. If it's a girl, I will be equally over the moon. Um, you know, and we're not finding out before the kid's born. So it's gonna uh, that was my next gonna be... side question. Oh, okay. Yeah. So we're not, yeah, we're not finding out. Um, until uh, the kid is going to be born, so it'll be a surprise. That's exciting. So, next one. Favorite music artist? Uh, a band called Social Distortion. Uh, they're like a, a, a grunge punk band from Los Angeles. Hmm. They're fairly old. They were, they were influenced like by guys like um, Johnny Cash, and uh, they've got a lot of interesting influences. I'll put it to you that way. Bob Dylan, Johnny Cash, guys like that. Um, and the thing I like about them, whereas you, you might think of like punk music being the Ramones or X or uh, maybe even the Clash, and I do love the Clash, um, but I always have thought of them more as like rocky punk. Uh, the, the, the thing that I love so much about Social Distortion is you can hear the harmony and melody in their punk music. It's like very kick-butt and hard-edged, but it has clearly defined um, – <sighs> clearly defined like it, it's not just a mashup of sound a lot of times you can get carried away with like somebody like the Ramones and start to think uh all of their songs have a very similar sound social distortion has um it, it, i don't know i don't know how to describe it other than it's kind of like clean punk music and i really like it uh and then my second my second most favorite is i, I do listen to a lot of like edm and house kind of music so i am kind of all over the board but i love like i also love elton john um and that kind of stuff as well so, interesting but yeah i mean social social distortion they're kind of a smaller group but i've seen them a bunch of times in concert um and i, I really really enjoy them awesome so next is favorite non-technology based hobby i don't really have hobbies outside of work um, and, and it's interesting cause there've been times where, you know, I've had to either put into something hobbies or I've tried to explain to somebody what hobbies are. I mean, I play guitar that I guess is, a, I mean, pro no, probably what it is is just working out in, in, in a wide variety of different ways. So then it's out playing a sport, basketball, football, baseball, or going to the gym and lifting or running. That would have to be my hobby outside of like technical stuff. All right. Final question. What is your favorite chain restaurant? Well, this should be interesting because the, what's a chain here on the east coast of the United States might not even necessarily be a chain out there where you are. That's okay. Um, and and the same for around the world. It's a good question, though. I'm not really sure uh, because I don't really have one that's like a go-to. Uh, I love it no matter where you are. I would have to say the one place I could pretty much go to any time would be Taco Bell. Um, they, they pretty much would always have something that would uh, would hit the spot, so to speak. Um you know, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not like crazy about any fast food in particular that I can think of. Um, but yeah, it would have to be Taco Bell. I don't know, it's pretty general, but and I know they're kind of all over the place. But yeah, yep. Taco Bell. 
Awesome. So that that is my quick six for this week. Nathaniel will be back next week for to hit me with a bunch of questions. That's correct. Now, now it's... Yeah, no, sorry. Ahead. To finish off this podcast, we're going to do the winners and losers every week and every single week. Both myself and Nathaniel pick a winner and a loser. And I'm going to start off this week because I actually found one story that kind of has both a winner and a loser of the week. And it is a story based out of Klamath, Klamath Falls in Oregon. I don't know yeah. where that Everyone is. Everyone knows where that is. Of Everyone course. Clear, yeah. Um, There's this video going around, and I think it went viral, of these two guys who are walking around, and they're very clearly, you know, carrying large firearms. I don't know what exactly they're called, automatic rifles or semi-automatic. And they do this to see what how people react. And I think they're loaded. I don't know. It doesn't really matter. But they're trying they and they have they walk around with a camera and they film officers to to see if they're, you know respecting them and whatever it might be. So my loser of the week is actually these two guys, because I, first of all, let me start with saying I have no problem with the second amendment. I, you know, if you, if you want a firearm to protect yourself, no issue with that. But I do have a problem with these guys who are walking around with these massive firearms, which honestly would scare the living daylights out of me if I'm walking walking in the street and I see some two guys with firearms because of all <laughs> everything that's been going on lately over the last few years. Um, right. And they're doing it strictly to get a reaction out of people. So that's the loser of the week. The winner of the yeah, week and, is... Yeah, and real quick, just to yep. piggyback onto that, there was, there was the story of like the guy a couple weeks ago who brought his... AR-15, I believe it was, into the Atlanta airport, but like dropping his daughter off, like he just strapped around his chest, just because he was exercising his right to open carry, even in an airport. And yeah, I mean, like you, it's just kind of like, you know, I get it. I, I, I personally, I love firearms. I love getting out and shooting. I am probably about as pro-gun as you can get. I would like it if everyone was required to own, much like they are over in Switzerland, where they have virtually no murder or violent crime. Um, uh, so I would love that, but it's kind of like, you know, you have, you also have to understand the context of the environment you live in. Um, and like you said, you're going to terrify so many people and, you know, sort of that whole disturbing public peace, uh, element comes into play a little bit when you're walking into an airport with a gun, that w- which looks like a fully automatic, very militarized weapon. Um, so it's sort of like, you know, I understand you're trying to make a point, and yes, it's legal for you to do this, but there comes a, a point where it's like, all right, don't be an like you're kind of being an idiot about it now. Right, exactly. And I don't think, I don't know if you're doing it for a YouTube video. I mean, obviously he was, but if that's the main reason, just it's it's really annoying. But the winner of the week is actually the police officer who responded, and. You know, we're seeing so often in the news that police officers are getting very aggressive and they're abusing their authority and they're just like, you know, throwing people to the ground. And this officer got out of his car. He explained why he was there because people had been calling, reporting these guys for walking around with firearms. And I just found that this officer, even though he, you know, he completely agreed that the guy was expressing his Second Amendment right and he was all for that, I think it looked like the officer was incredibly respectful and he did his job just like he was trained and he explained everything that he was, um, you know, that he wasn't detaining him and he was just, he has to check out the firearm to make sure it's like a, not a fully automatic, but a semi-automatic and 
everything was explained very well and probably to his training. And the, you know, there was absolutely no issue. The officer explained everything and everyone went on their way and everything, everyone was happy. So I think the winner of the week was that officer that showed, you know, he was very respectful and he did his job like an officer should do. And it's kind of nice to see so, so rarely do we see news articles or videos that officers actually do their job properly. And in reality, most officers do. Unfortunately, the media loves to focus on the ones that don't. Yeah. And actually there was just a video of 10 police officers here in Philadelphia that like beat this guy to within an inch of his life. I think that came out Ugh. last night. So yeah. Anyway, uh, my loser of the week, uh, those of you who follow the NFL or American football, uh, I hope you're not a New York Giants fan. One of their best defensive players, a guy by the name of Jason Pierre-Paul, who actually I had hoped that my Philadelphia Eagles would draft a few years ago in the draft. Uh, He severely injured his hand on July 4th with fireworks and uh, not only destroyed his thumb and broke that really badly, but had to have one of his other fingers amputated. Uh, and I mean that while it probably won't affect his play all that much, it looks like he's going to be out for several months. Uh, and it caused his team, the New York giants to retract a $60 million contract offer to him. Uh, and he is now going to make, you know, whatever he would, he was making. And at the end of the season, will become a free agent looking for a job and he'll get work. Um, but the fact is you had a $60 million deal on the table and you literally blew it away. Uh, so that, that's my loser of the week. I see. What, and um, actually, very, very quickly to add to that, um, in some even more sad news, there was uh, there, there's been v- YouTube videos going around of this Disney employee who dresses up as Gaston. I mean, that's his job. Um, during the Fourth of July, he stupidly—I don't know if he was drunk or what—what what happened, but he decided it would be a good idea to set fireworks off the top of his head. Oh, and I saw the, yeah, unfortunately, like the, he did pass away. But I mean, if if you're celebrating the Fourth of July or any holiday, and you are celebrating with fireworks or anything remotely similar, please be careful out there. We don't need people dying because of stupidity. Yeah, and if I come to your funeral and ask how you died, and they say, "Oh, he strapped a mortar tube to his head and started firing fireworks out of it, and his head got knocked off," I may just walk out of the funeral home at that point because that's really, really dumb to do. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so my my winner of the week uh, is a story out of Baltimore, actually. Uh, a Michael Tabrizi, owner of Tabrizi's restaurant, is partnering with local shelters to have a special homeless-only week of meals where he's only going to allow homeless people into his restaurant for five nights of dining in Baltimore. He plans on giving all the food away for free and cooking just like it would be normal business, um, but it's just going to completely shut down to anybody who essentially is not homeless. Uh, and I just thought that was really, really cool because most of these people, I'm sure, have never been to a place like this. It looks like it's a fairly nice restaurant, uh, and it just seemed like something that was pretty freaking cool. That is really cool. And a few weeks ago, you talked about this new app that's coming out, or that did come out, where this lady is allowing restaurants to basically deliver food to homeless shelters or other organizations that help people that aren't fortunate enough to buy food. And actually, I just saw something today. I don't think it's recent news. I think it's been around forever, or not forever, but quite a while. That France, I believe, has a law that makes it illegal for restaurants and grocery chains to throw out food that, you know, 
if they didn't like sell everything one day, they usually just throw it out, but it's apparently illegal in France. So people are wondering why we don't we don't have something like that in the United States, where I think we totally should, because there are so many people that can't afford food, whether they're homeless or whatever their situation is. And every single day, I would say thousands, if not more of tons of food are just being thrown out to the, you know, going to waste. Right. Yeah. Well, see who play. Mm-hmm. There you go. <laughs> so that will just about wrap up the podcast for this week. Unless I'm missing something, Howard. Nope. That will be it for episode number 22. We'll be back next week for episode number 23. I am Howard Pinsky. He is Nathaniel Dotson. Make sure to follow both of us on Twitter. Use the hashtag WeGeeks. Submit iTunes reviews. Comment on SoundCloud. Support us on Patreon. Did I miss anything? Yeah, and send us funny comments on Twitter. We had somebody sending us funny comments this week, and funny comments from anybody are always much appreciated, even if you're making fun of us. Indeed. So that's it, guys. Uh, We will see you, or you will hear us, I guess I should say, next week. See ya. See ya.